Well, I'm very happy to be joined by a platinum-selling artist and the host of our very own Country Gold right here on K103. I guess you could call her my competitor in a way because we both host <laughs> similar type shows. Terry Clark is with us tonight. How you doing, Terry? Hey, hey Glenn. Hey, no competitors. Hey, we're, we're all in this together, right? <laughs> and my dog starts barking. <laughs> oh, goodness. How are you doing, Glenn? I'm doing good. And, yeah, we are all in this together. That's what they keep telling us, And uh, which, which begs the question, how have you been... Uh, have you been holding up here lately? Oh, you know, the first six months I was kind of like, well, this is a nice break. And I never would have taken this kind of time off voluntarily. So I'm kind of getting a bit of a pause. I've been on the road constantly since 1995. But the last six months, eight months has been like, okay, when is this gig up? Because I'm ready to go back on the road. <laughs> so yeah, I just, uh, I'm over it now and, and ready to get back out there and you know, a lot of people are, and I think people are ready to see live music. And I, I miss my band and the road and the crew and the lifestyle and everything. And I think that sparked the idea for a new song, but I, I want to put a pin on that, and, and we're going to kind of touch on that a little bit later on in the interview. Um, first, why don't we go ahead and get to know Terry Clark a little bit more. It's your second time on the show, so we know a little bit. Of course, it's well known that you're Canadian. You were born in Montreal, and then you headed out west to Medicine Hat. That's where you kind of settled down, right? Yes. Uh, my, my parents got divorced when I was eight years old, and my mom moved to Calgary, Alberta with me and my sister, my younger sister, and started a new life. And, um, and there she met my stepfather, and uh, they got married, and he moved us to a house that he owned in Medicine Hat, Alberta. And that's where I spent my formative years. I grew up, you know, between the age of 10 and 18, I spent in Medicine Hat, and that's where, you know, I, I really got into country music and playing and singing and decided I wanted to be an artist and someday go to Nashville. So that's where the dream was born. From other Canadian artists that I've talked to, country music's pretty big in Canada, right? Well, of course, yeah. I mean, it's it's uh, not much different there than it is here. The only thing separating us is a border, really, and and, and maybe, maybe a few more uh, poutines and fries with gravy and cheese on them. But... Uh, <laughs> And and funny looking money, but but yeah, I mean it's it's huge up there. And Canada has its own country music awards show and its own scene and its own artists that may not be as well known on this side of the border, but they they headline festivals with and the same slots that the American acts are in up there and stuff. So yeah, it's a it's it's country's is big everywhere right now. It, it's definitely exploded and during my era in the '90s through the mid 2000s, it it did really well as as well but it seems like the last five to ten years has really just exploded everywhere you know it's kind of a coincidence i just read this this morning i think tenille art's song just went to number one somebody like that and i think i read she's the first female canadian solo country artist to have a number one hit since terry clark I, i'm pretty sure i read that right so i just thought yeah, it was interesting i, I read that i heard i couldn't believe that i, <laughs> I read that yesterday somewhere that girls like two was the last time and i i was I couldn't believe it, but I am, I got to tell you, I am so proud of her and Alex Klein, who co-produced my last album, Raising the Bar. She co-produced Young As We Are Tonight, the single that I had out, off of that record, um, wrote a lot of the songs with me on that record. Um, I can attest to Alex's talent as, as she's, she's the only, the first female producer to have a number one country song on the billboard charts not only did she have the number one song as a writer she also played most of the instruments on it and and i mean and produced it and Tennille being canadian 
I mean, it all just feels so meant to be an awesome. I'm so proud of that whole team. I mean, they use the same mix engineer that I use. Like we're all kind of, we're all kind of running the same circles. And so it's just thrilling for me for, to, to see that happen for them. And it, it took way too long, but I'm glad it was them that did it. Yeah, it's really cool. And I really like that song. It's one of my favorite songs going right now. So yeah. I'm yeah, happy it's for a great it. song. Back to you, though. Uh, so I know you come from a musical family, right? I think your grandparents were, were, uh, were musicians. Yes. My, my grandparents on my mom's side, they actually played in clubs around Montreal. Um, they played a lot of local spots uh, that had country music. And my grandfather was the booking agent and played fiddle in the band. My grandmother sang, played bass. Um, and they, and they had, you know, other band members. And I've actually got some of their union cards and business cards that they had that, that, they had signed by some of the acts that they opened for people like George Jones and Johnny Cash. I'm looking at them right now and uh, I framed them, but it, yeah, I come from a musical family and my, there was always a guitar around. My grandfather was constantly sitting in the, around the living room playing guitar all, all the time. And uh, I was mesmerized by that. And on my dad's side, there are some cousins and uncles uh, on that side of the family that also played and sang. So I think I have it besides, but especially my mom's and, um, she taught me my first three chords, and I was off to the races at around nine or ten years old, and I, I started to get really serious about it in my early teens. Do you have a pretty big rock and roll influence as well? The reason I ask is I, I constantly see you wearing like rock T-shirts of, of some of my favorite <laughs> rock bands, you know, like Guns N' Roses or, or David Bowie or something like that. Um, more so, I would say the '70s country rock or folk stuff. Like my mom listened to a, a lot of Bob Dylan, Joan Baez, uh, the Beatles. And I, and then, and then in the seventies, it was the Eagles and Linda Ronstadt and, and Rod Stewart and, you know, artists like that. So I, I have a lot of, uh, a pretty broad musical influential palette, I guess, like the people that, that I listened to growing up. And, but the ones that really, the ones that really, really struck a chord with me that i tried to emulate the most were the country artists of the early to mid eighties. When I was in my formative years and like a sponge, you know, it was Ricky Skaggs and the Judds and Reba and um, Dan Seals and Gary Morris and, and, you know, and Loretta and Dolly and Patsy Cline and all of those artists that I really uh, honed in on. Well, what I love about you and some of the other like nineties artists is that you, you took that but you mixed it with that kind of rock and roll show and, and just made 90s country a whole lot of fun to, to listen to, but also go and, and see in concert. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, I think Chris Ledoux, I've got to tip my hat to him, had a lot to do with that yeah. because Garth Brooks got a lot of his show ideas and energy and took took a lot of pointers from, from seeing Chris Ledoux perform mm-hmm. live and brought a, he brought a, a an arena rock show to country for the first time it wasn't just standing in front of a microphone in a cowboy hat and, and being polite it was uh you know he was flying through the air on these wires and and pyro and smoke and all this stuff and <laughs> it brought a, it i think that garth and chris brought a, a whole different type of show to country which definitely broadened the audience for it and you were one of the first concerts that I ever actually went and saw. Um, and, and to see, to see women start doing that, you know, I, I thought was, was really awesome. And, and gosh, nobody does it better than you, I don't think. Well, thanks. I, I always kind of took my tips from the guys more than anything. I thought, you know, if guys can run around like that and sweat and 
not be afraid to mess up their hair. Um, I can do it too. So I've always, you know, that's one thing my manager, Clarence, always told me when we first started working together. He said, I I don't know a lot of women that, that their stage presence is like the guys are like you, you, you know, I slide from one end of the stage to the other, like I'm going, (laughs) coming into third base and like, I doesn't, it doesn't matter. I just think the energy is important. And, um, it helps not wearing a dress. I'm not a dress wearer. I'm more of a tomboy, so I wear the jeans and T-shirt. So I'm wearing the appropriate, appropriately <laughs> dressed for such activities. But a lot of a lot of the fem- my female counterparts, you know, uh, would look funny doing some of these things in a in a skirt. <laughs> is that is some of that by design because you wanted to stand out, or is that just naturally Terry Clark? That's who you were, and and that's what you went with. That's pretty much who I am, and. I think the cowboy hat, you know, is something that I, I, I used to wear it on and off as a teenager, like entering local talent contests and things like that. And growing up in Alberta, which is a lot like Texas on uh, the northern side of the border, hmm. it's, it's, you know, it's just it's right there beside Montana. It's, it's a lifestyle. There's just a lot of ranches and farmers. And then I got to Nashville and got a job selling Western apparel in retail. It's one of, one of my many jobs before I got a record deal. And so I would dress the part and I'd wear the hat, you know, to work. And a friend of mine said to me one day, he, he looked at me and he said, you know, when you get your record deal, you should really think of keeping that. It looks really good on you and all the guys are doing it. And there is not one girl. It's a brand and it's, it, it's natural for you. And, and uh, that kind of stuck with me. And when I got my deal, I, I stuck a hat on my head and in the photo shoot and everybody was like, wow, wow. Okay. Well, that we like that. And, um, I don't know if the label was as crazy about it at first as I was, but, you know, I just kept wearing it. And um, I'm glad I did because it does set me apart. Yeah, a signature look for sure. And that's, I guess that's how that was born. So uh, while you're in Nashville, I guess that, that's where you got the big break, right? Uh, you started out playing at Tootsie's. Well, I, I moved to Nashville when I was 18. Uh, my mom brought me down with a family friend in a Honda Civic with everything I owned in the back seat. And, boy, those were the days you could get everything you owned in the back seat of car. Um, moving was a lot easier back then. So, uh, yeah, we drove down and told the guy at the border that we were on our way to the, the Grand Ole Opry. And, um, he didn't know that I didn't plan on returning. Uh, they brought me down and we found a place for me to live and tried to figure out how I was going to earn some money because I didn't have a social security card yet. Um, I had no idea how that was going to happen. We were, we were really operating on a wing and a prayer at that point. Wow. I just knew I wanted to be in Nashville, and I wanted people to hear me sing, and I, I figured that God would take care of the rest. And uh, that's exactly what happened. So we wandered into Tootsie's or- Orchid Lounge one day as tourists, and I had been very familiar with it from movies like Coal Miner's Daughter and all the history books I'd read on country music, so I was fascinated with the place and wanted to go in. And this is when Laura Broadway in Nashville was not the tourist destination the bachelorette party destination than it is today mm-hmm. it was it was rough around the edges and i guess cd would be a good word for lower broadway and dangerous at times back then <laughs> but we were just you know wide-eyed canadians wandering in there in the middle of the afternoon and i wound up on stage uh asking the guy if i could get up and sit in on his set it was he was just sitting with a guitar himself and um I got up and started playing, and people started filtering in, and they offered me a job playing for $15 a day plus tips. And so I took that because I didn't have any other options at that <laughs> time to make any money. And I got a bus pass, and I would bus my way in downtown every single time I had to play Tootsie's and, and uh, 
take my guitar on the bus, knocked over an old lady or two on the way, and uh, <laughs> there I was going downtown to play. That is amazing. The guts it must take to, to just walk up and say, hey, can I sit in on your set? I guess you have to have that, though, in your line of work. Yeah, well, my mom and Pat, her friend, they definitely pushed and nudged. You're looking at the original original window from the bar that I was given when my first album went gold at the record label. So I, I, I'm looking, I, I have that window in my house that I sat in front of when I was 18 years old and sang, and it's pretty special. It, you know, I, I would not change anything about the trajectory of my career or, or how I got, got there. Um, it was scary at times, but... But Tootsie's is just a legendary place, and it's uh, it's a historical landmark. It's been named a historical landmark by the state of Tennessee. I've I've been there many times, and I love it. And you feel that when you walk in, you feel that history that you know of everybody who's been there before you. So I guess it was while you were playing there that uh, somebody discovered you. Uh, how did it happen? Well, there was a a guy named George Atwell who was walking by the front door, and he was in town working on some music. He was a, a music producer. He did a lot of stuff for Epcot Center in Florida, and the door was open. He heard me singing, and he came in and sat down and and just listened for about an hour, and then he gave me his card, and he said, I would love to work with you. I'd love to make a demo tape on you and see if I can get you a record deal. So one thing led to another, and I wound up uh, I wound up in Florida at his studio, of all places, Florida, when I'm sitting here in Nashville, but we did some stuff in Florida, um, and he shopped it to a, a couple of places and we wound up at ASCAP and, uh, the president of ASCAP heard it and he said, you need a manager. So then he sent me to Woody Bowles, who became my first manager. And then, uh, Woody just started taking me around to sing for people here and there. And one thing led to another and, and, uh, Eventually, I wound up on Mercury Records, but it took eight years from the time I got to Nashville till I finally wound up with a record deal. And there were there were a lot of a lot of heartbreaks in between, a lot of promises broken, a lot of uh, day jobs, tears, uh, false starts. But it finally happened, and uh, I wouldn't change any of those things that happened though, because it makes you appreciate it more when it when it does. Now, those dues paid off because uh, when the first album does come out, it goes multiple times platinum and it produces four really good singles, plus some other tracks that didn't get released as singles that I, I really love as well. And it was a self-titled album, Terry Clark, and Better Things to Do was the, the first single off of it, wasn't it? It was. You know, I, I wrote the song with Mark, uh, with not Mark, uh, with uh, Tom Shapiro and Chris Waters and Chris also co-produced the first album, and that when we wrote that song, we kind of knew we had something special, and so we went and had lunch, and then when we came back, we played the tape back, and we were like, yes, just as we suspected, we've got something there, and it was almost like we knew we'd just written the first single. I don't know how we knew, but we did, and it just had this, uh, you know, it just had this kind of turbo twang thing to it. It was country, but at the time it felt a little edgier than just country, you know, and, and it wasn't, it was kind of the people at the label were calling it turbo traditional. <laughs> That's what they were calling it. <laughs> I'd, I'd say that fits it pretty well. And then when boy meets girl would have been the next release off of it. And that's probably one of my favorite songs of yours from any album. I just love that song. Thank you. Wrote, wrote it with the same guys. We were kind of on a roll. We wrote, so many songs for that album and for the second album and for the third album, um, you know, together. And, and we, we just definitely hit on kind of a, a bit of a, a stride and 
we just rolled with it. And Boy Meets Girl, we may have actually written when Boy Meets Girl before we wrote Better Things to Do. But uh, yeah, I, I, Chris came in with that idea and uh, I had never heard it written before, which surprised me because people say it all the time. It's a saying, right? Mm-hmm. So I was surprised it, it hadn't been a song yet, but now we can't say that anymore. <laughs> that is kind of surprising that you think about it. Could you have expected the the success of that first album? Like, did you have any idea that it was going to be that big? No, I really didn't. You know, I I hoped and wished for that, as we all do. But you never really know until it gets out there. I just wanted a chance. I wanted the chance to be able to prove myself. And the label gave me the chance. And I certainly didn't want to blow it. Um, and that was back when, you know, it was a lot easier for women to get played on the radio in the night. So that wasn't even the biggest hurdle or thought. It was just a matter of having the right song um, to break out from the pack. And I'm just grateful that we did, you know, and, and, and I, I had been writing songs for many years before before we recorded the album. So a couple of those made it on the album as well. But, yeah, I mean, I, I, didn't, I didn't expect it to be... Uh, you know, when it happened, it happened really fast. I hadn't even, I didn't even have a band together and I was getting offered every single major tour all of a sudden. And I had to throw a band together to, to accept one of them and be able to, you know, an artist wants to get on a big tour. And I had the choice of like five of them. Wow. Um, at the time, uh, George Strait, Alan Jackson, Dwight Yoakam, uh, John Michael Montgomery, and uh, th- there was another one, and I, but you know, I, I went out with George King George, and and I'm so glad I did that one. But it's you know, it was just a a really crazy time. So the next album, uh, just the same, comes out in 1996. Lead single from that is "Poor Poor Pitiful Me," which I didn't know until recently is a cover song. Originally Warren Zevon and then Linda Ronstadt. Well, I used to hear the Linda Ronstadt version when I was out in the gym working out with my trainer. Getting- getting ready for the first album cover shoot. And so, and you know, I heard it growing up back in the seventies and I put it in the show because I just loved it. So I was doing it live before we ever recorded it. And some of the record label executives were at a a George Strait show and they said, you should, you should, uh, we should cut that on you for, for your next record. I think Keith Stegall might've said something about it. And then we actually uh, went in and recorded it, and I didn't expect it to be a single. I thought it would be an album cut, but they just, uh, yeah, they released it as a single, and it's it's kind of become one of my signature songs. Mm-hmm. That song's had many lives. <laughs> <laughs> and you probably remember we picked that as our cover song of the night last time you were on, and I think you modeled your version a little bit more after Linda's than, than Warren's, right? Yeah, I would say yeah. so. I followed her blueprint a little bit more, but nobody can sing like Linda Ronstadt. I, I just took my best shot at it. Um, Emotional Girl also came off of that album. What do you remember about that one? Yes, uh, I wrote that one with uh, Chris Waters and Rick Bowles, and it was just a it, it was just an idea that Chris had that he came in with, and um, we wrote that one in just in an afternoon. It, it you know, it it I, we were in his basement uh, at his house. And just, I was just trying to write as many songs as I could in between touring. I was so busy on just not much of a break and trying to write music for new albums in between road gigs and staying up too late at night. Because, I mean, I was in my 20s. I was having a great time. Um, (laughs) So, you know, having a great time and 
roll in and off the bus after one too many beers the night before and <laughs> into a writing appointment and not even having time to do my laundry. Um, a lot of it's such a blur, but I do remember writing Emotional Girl with Chris, and, and we, uh, yeah, we had fun writing that one. That was a lot of fun because the lyric is really colorful, and um, I, so many of my hits were just really fun, up-tempo songs that just uh, kind of, that's kind of what put me on the map was that type of thing, you know, the songs that, that women could relate to especially, and guys loved too, but just had more of an up-tempo, uh, fun vibe to them. That album goes platinum as well. In fact, your first three albums were, were all uh, platinum, and so that means the next one, How I Feel, um, went platinum too. And my wife would kill me if I didn't ask you about this one because we chose it for uh, our wedding video, Now That I Found You. It is our favorite oh. song, just a just a beautiful song. Oh, thanks, Glenn. Uh, that song was actually had to be pushed on me a little bit. Really? My, my producer, Keith, uh, at the time... He said, "I've got this demo, and I want you to listen to this song." He said, "We need to." We he said, "We need to cut something a little unexpected this time." You know, we had had all these bouncy up tempo hits, excluding "If I Were You," um, and it was just starting to get to the point where we needed we needed something a little bit different. Um, so he played me the demo of "Now That I Found You," and it, it was definitely a pop R and B sounding thing. And I was like, "Wow, you're hearing me on this." And he said, yes. He said, just don't listen to the production. He said, but it's a hit song, and I think you would sound great singing it, and we will nail it. It'll, 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 we'll make it you. It was kind of like what the Property Brothers do when they see a house. We're going to move this over here. We'll take this wall out <laughs> over there. We're going to do that. So uh, we went in the studio, and he was right. I mean, we, we nailed it, and the, the band nailed it, and uh, it wound up being the first single off the third album. And uh, did really well for us. It was probably my biggest album sales week, opening week of all three of those records. Believe it or not, was now that I found you. I, I, I think we, yeah, I think we sold more 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 albums the first week it came out and was on sale in record stores and back in the day before streaming and all that um, than than anything we'd done before. So it proved to be a good idea on his part, and I'm glad I went along. And to kind of go along with what you were saying, you did have so many great, upbeat, catchy songs. It seemed like when you did slow it down, it carried more weight and, and caught people's attention more, and certainly more so than somebody who just sings ballad after ballad after ballad. I think so, and I think it needed. I think, you know, you can become a one-trick pony really easily and get painted into a corner and stereotyped, and I felt that happening. So now that I found you, kind of helped to break that mold a little bit. And then my fourth album, I completely broke the mold and, and uh, you know, just wrote a bunch of songs with some different people and took a more folky roots approach to it. Uh, it wasn't my biggest commercial success, but a little gasoline came out off of that record. Uh, but, you know, getting a taste of being able to, how I feel was sort of moving in that direction. I think that there are tracks on how I feel that definitely have more of a, a roots feel to it or Americana, if you will. And, um, and fearless just went all the way for the throat in that in that area. And I'm glad I did it. I don't have no regrets about doing about doing that record that I wanted to do at the time. I'm grateful for it. Yeah, fearless in 2000, pain to kill in 2002, and then the, the greatest hits album in 2004 uh, had a new hit off of it with with Girls Lie Too. We touched on that in the beginning, and I kind of skimmed through some there because we don't have time to talk about all of them, but. 
through that time, is there any specific song that stands out to you um, as maybe one of your favorites or one that we that we should mention? Well, you know, when I cut Fearless, No Fear was a big one for me, and it's a song I wrote with Mary Chapin Carpenter, and it's become such an anthem and and a theme for so many people. It 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 really is an inspiring lyric and song, and I love the feel of it, and I have it in my show every night. Um, and it went number one in Canada on the country charts. It, it didn't do as well here, but it did really well up there. And it's just kind of it's remained kind of that sleeper hit of my career, that that steady sentiment that people have tattoos of on their arm and stuff. You know, they just love the song. And, um, you know, after that album, I kind of returned to form with Pain to Kill, which you mentioned earlier. And, and we had I Just Want to Be Mad and I Want to Do It All, uh, both top five singles off of that record. And then The Greatest Hits had Girls Lie Too. During that time, you know, we were recording music that I loved. Three Mississippi, one of my favorite songs I've ever recorded. Another one that didn't go that high on the charts, but should have, in my opinion. It's just... <laughs> Um, you know, th- there were some great music, I feel like, that we and great songs we got our hands on to record around those years and, and that time that, that people still love to hear today, no matter what their chart position wound up being. You know, they, they remember them and they request them and love them. So uh, lots of fond memories. Now here at K103, we've been playing country gold since the Randy Owen days. Uh, you took over oh, wow. You took over in 2016. Um, what made you want to jump over to the uh, to our side of things and, and, and deal with the industry from this side of it? Well, I'm, I'm really passionate about music uh, and about country music. And I grew up listening to my local radio station. I would call and request songs, and they knew me by my first name and the sound of my voice every time I would call and request Reba when I was a kid. And, you know, radio jocks and radio personalities they're like part of your family it's important to me i think radio is really important and still important in this day and age of streaming and all of that and podcasts i just think i think it's very important to people and i i always kind of you know had this little fantasy about being on the other side of the microphone when i was a kid and what that would be like and i looked up to my local djs and considered them like my friends, you know, because the, the clock radio would wake me up for school in the morning and they'd be talking. I just felt like I knew them. And when uh, I was offered the the gig to do Country Gold, which was all 80s and 90s countries, and like I told you, like the 80s was really my wheelhouse. That's where I cut my teeth. And those artists are the ones that really influenced me so much. I jumped at the chance to be able to do that. I had been getting up and doing a morning show live five days a week, um, a, a syndicated morning show that was all over America. And I wasn't able to tour as much, which was a real drag. And it was, it was kind of uh, getting to me. And um, that was actually the first time I heard The Highway, which is a Holly Williams song I just recorded, was during that time. And I was really missing being on the road. And I was overtired because I was getting up at 3.30 every morning. Um, and I just, I was almost getting a little bit depressed and that song moved me so much at that time. So I, but, but when I was, uh, when that, that, you know, morning show gig went away and they offered me country gold, I jumped at the chance. First of all, I can record it. Plus I get to actually interview all these artists one-on-one, my peers and friends in the industry and sit down and chat with them and catch up. And it's just kind of like pulling back the, the curtain on a, on a conversation between friends. And I just really, really love doing it. You can hear country gold with Terry Clark Sunday night at eight o'clock right here on, on K one Oh three. And, and 
I model a lot of what I do on this show after what you do on, on your show. And I just absolutely love it. I, I catch it as often as I can. I think you do an amazing job. Well, thank you very much. I feel like, you know, I've really uh, become more comfortable with it as the years have gone on. And I feel like I'm now just hitting my stride with the conversations I'm having with people. I'm starting to ask some maybe harder questions, you know, and, I mean, I mean, talking to Ray Stevens about some of the hits he had and how they wouldn't fly today and things like that. You know, it's, it's, you got to step out of your comfort zone a little bit to get good content. But, you know, asking Tracy Lawrence what his biggest regret was, you know, if he could do anything again, what would he do differently? And you just, those are things that not everybody asks. And I feel like I can ask because they're my friends and, and, and it feels more like a conversation than a question answer thing. And, Makes for a good podcast too. I mean, these these all go up on my website, and, and they're on Spotify, and people can listen to these wherever you can hear podcasts in their entirety without any uh, any interruption. So, you know, it's it's. I'm just having a ball with it, and I hope to be able to continue. And I appreciate you your compliments and saying that about it. I I really do. Thank you very much. I think I need to get to know the artist a little better before I can ask those questions. So uh, <laughs> I'll leave that to you, Terry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> how, how about the new single, The Highway? I, I've been listening all week, and first time I heard it, I was like, oh, this is good. This is catchy. The second time I heard it, I listened a little bit closer to the lyrics, and I would have bet money that it was born from the pandemic. So I was surprised to hear you say that it's been around a while. Well, that, like I mentioned earlier, Holly Williams wrote that song, and I was addicted to her record when I was doing the morning show, and, and I would listen to it. And I was also training for a half marathon during that time. And every time I would listen to the album over and over again, every time the song came on, I'd just start crying. And I would just start crying because I was exhausted and I missed being on the road. I missed doing what I was put here to do. And so, you know, I, I wanted to record it then, back then. And she said, you should. And and then fast forward to now, and I didn't record it, and the pandemic is happening, and people are just itching to get back out there and on the road, and things are just now starting to open up. It's been way longer than anyone thought it would be. Um, I recorded the song because it just felt even more timely now than it did then, and it, it feels like the song was written right now during this pandemic, and it was it was foreboding. I'm sure she wrote it probably eight or nine or ten years ago. And it's a song I wish I had written. Um, I just I've always loved it, and it just felt the, like the right time to record it. And then the video came about just wanting to honor my fans and let them know that we were coming back. You know, we'll be back and just hang on a little bit longer. And uh, as luck has it, it looks like I'm going to get back out there in July for a few shows here and there. And you know, this this year is going to be more of a crawling back into some sense of normal. Um, I don't think things are going to be full swing until next year, but we've got a few things in the fall and summer. Wow. I would have bet money that that song was written in 2020. <laughs> I, really I know. <laughs> yeah, me too. Isn't that something that she wrote it that long ago and it just fits so well for the times. That's crazy. The new single is called The Highway and uh, we're going to start playing it immediately right here on on K103. Terry, is there anything else that you have coming up? Anything else, um, any new projects you'd like to promote or anything like that before we let you go? Um, I'm just waiting to get back on the road. I've got a, a, a benefit show for the Love Anchors Fund coming up in uh, East Tennessee on May 15th with Jamie O'Neill, Carolyn Don Johnson, and Brandy Clark and Anita Cochran for uh, uh, the Love Anchors Fund, which um, helps bring awareness to breast cancer. And so I'm doing that May 15th. 
Um, and anybody who wants tickets to that, who decides they want to drive to Tennessee for a show, can uh, go to uh, go to my website or Facebook, and all the information's on that and, and Instagram of how to get tickets for that event. Um, and then I'm just uh, I'm just doing little things here and there, and and undergoing a bit of a house renovation right now, overseeing that and uh, writing songs here and there. But I can't wait to get back out on the road in July. I'm excited about it. And again, that website is terryclark.com. Of course, that's Terry with an I, clark.com. Terry, it's been a pleasure catching up with you. Thank you so much for doing this tonight. Thank you, Glenn. It's good talking to you, and you guys stay safe, and hopefully we'll see you soon.